Week 11 of the lockdown seems to have just been a really difficult one for us, somewhat sad. And I've been hearing from other people um, that it's been hard too. And maybe it's, it's just because it's going on and on. Some people are lonely. Some people are stir crazy by now. Some are incredibly pressurised because they're working from home and they're doing homeschooling, they're cooking extra meals and doing the shopping for it, and they're just really, really tired. Well, this section of Paul's letter today picks up on the relationship theme, and uh, I've taken the heading Living Together as Citizens of Heaven. I have to say that uh, three months ago, Peter and I wondered how we would get on living together all day, every day uh, as citizens of heaven. Um, I would admit we have disagreements at the best of times uh, and we had wondered. But by God's grace, um, we are surviving. And as we look back, we can even say a number of things have really, really been positive. So we give thanks for that. But you remember for this letter, this letter to the Philippians, Paul is in prison in Rome writing it. And then this man, Epaphroditus, arrives with a generous gift from the Christian church in Philippi and also bringing lots of news of the people there. Uh, Paul had founded that church in Philippi. He was very fond of it. And this is the letter that he then wrote back. And there were some issues that he wanted to resolve. Um, At the end of today's reading, you hear about this disagreement between two women, Euodia and Syntyche. But that might be the tip of an iceberg because back in chapter two and in earlier verses that we read today, there's mention of differences. And uh, we don't know exactly what that might have meant. But in writing this letter, Paul wanted to address that big issue and to nurture unity between them and to help them change their mindset and see again what they had together as citizens of heaven. So what do we think is going on in Philippi? Well, let me tell you a little bit about the town, and later on I'll tell you a little bit about the uh, people that we know were there. The uh, town of Philippi is in present-day northeast Greece, and uh, in those days that region was called uh, Macedonia. And it was a Roman colony and it was named after Philip of Macedon, who was the father of Alexander the Great. Might have come up in your history lessons. By this time, the town had existed already for about 200 years. It was quite wealthy in the hills behind uh, Philippi. There's gold to be mined. And... uh, Philippi was on uh, an important Roman road going from the eastern provinces all the way back to Rome. Uh, There'd been quite a number of battles in the area of Philippi, and so a lot of ex-army people were living there. And really importantly, all the citizens of Philippi were Roman 
citizens. They had all the rights and all the privileges as if they actually lived in or around Rome. The religious um, climate there at the time, um, that of the Roman Empire, was to follow about a dozen Roman gods. They also adopted some Greek gods. But by this time in the Roman Empire, the emperors themselves had also uh, considered themselves to be gods. And so one of the titles that the emperor of the day would have expected was to be called saviour. It seems amazing to us. So there in Philippi, which was intensely loyal to Rome, they would have worshipped the emperor. And who was he? Well, the emperor of the day, when this letter was written, was Nero, um, the one who said to have fiddled while Rome burned. Uh, he's infamous for his uh, debauchery, his extravagances, and of course later for the terrible uh, persecution of the Christians. So you get an idea of the lifestyle of the other people uh, around these Christians in Philippi, in their community. And uh, the reason that Paul would be so keen to call them together and to ensure that they were living in unity and not uh, as the people around them. In fact, he warns them, and it's said in this passage, he had tears in his eyes as he did it, not to be drawn away, not to seek earthly pleasures, or indeed perhaps the more comfortable lifestyle that they would have had if they had worshipped the emperor. Paul reminds them time and time again that it was the cross of Christ that provided their salvation and provided them with everything that they needed. Life in all its fullness, peace, joy and the love that comes from God, whatever was going on all around them. Now, we don't know uh, what the cause of the breakdown was between these two women, Euodia and Syntyche or indeed uh, between some of the others. But we do know that Paul himself had experienced broken relationships over a disagreement. If you go into the uh, book of Acts and around chapter 15, uh, just before Paul in fact travelled for the first time to Philippi, he had a disagreement with his friend, um, his uh, comrade in the in the gospel, his fellow traveller, his mentor, Barnabas. Barnabas wanted to take his young relative, John Mark, on the next uh, missionary journey. But Paul disagreed. Uh, Paul didn't want him to go because he said that John Mark had let him down over something they'd asked him to do previously. So these two uh, really significant men of the New Testament, the early church, they went their separate ways at this point. And Paul took Silas and later uh, Luke uh, to travel to Philippi, while Barnabas took John Mark uh, to the island of Cyprus and took 
the good news of Jesus there. Now, happily, we know that a full reconciliation took place because in another letter that Paul wrote from prison in Rome, he calls this young John Mark his co-worker and he just warmly commends him to the church to whom he's writing. And uh, that's all good for us, too, not only to know that, but that John Mark was uh, the Mark who wrote down the first account of the uh, story of Jesus Christ on earth. And uh, we have that gospel and we, we treasure it right through to this day. So what does Paul say here to help the situation that's going on in Philippi? I think the first thing to notice is that he writes in a really lovely, tender way to them. That uh, chapter four that uh, John read to us uh, starts. My brothers and sisters whom I love and I long for my crown, my joy. It's a caring, loving sentiment. It's not at all dictatorial it's not this is what you will do he does recognize Paul does recognize that differences of opinion will exist even in churches but essentially he encourages them to dwell on their faith in Christ that unites them and to pray to God about their differences trusting that the Holy Spirit will indeed guide them And he also does something uh, further. He organises a mediator uh, for these two women, somebody he calls his true companion. And uh, there's a lot of speculation as to who it might be. But it could have been Luke, the writer of the gospel and the writer of the book of Acts, because Luke had gone to uh, Philippi with Paul, but he'd stayed on for some years there. So it may have been him that uh, Paul had in mind. Christian mediation was an aspect of uh, one of my jobs in the past, going into churches where there were issues going on. And uh, a key element was always enabling, facilitating people to talk to each other and really importantly, to really listen to one another. Then to find the points of agreement the commonly held beliefs and the values as Christians, to pray a lot and to see how the situation might be resolved. Now, sometimes differences did remain, but the relationships could be restored. And watching today uh, this uh, live um, YouTube broadcast, uh, there might be people from different churches, from various denominations and some people watching might have been a bit disillusioned because we have all these different churches. There are uh, differences of interpretation in some passages in the Bible, for example, and uh, sometimes that's because of trouble understanding the original language or sometimes the context into which it was written. Uh, And so we have some differences about what that means for us in our present time and our present circumstances. And that's why when we read the Bible today, uh, it's not just a textbook 
um, we're saying, to Holy Spirit, please come and guide us and speak to us. And we see what uh, the Bible will say to us. But it's good to reflect that even with the variation in practice between uh, certain churches, there's far more that unites us than divides us. Our fundamental uh, beliefs in God the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit are the same. So we are family. We, we are those who want to follow Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour. The one who offers life in all its fullness. Uh, now, here, in the present time and on into eternity. It might sound a, a cliche, a Christian cliche to say we're brothers and sisters in Christ, that we're family. But there is reality in it. And just like in our human fa uh, families, we, we would like uh, to live in a harmonious unity. Um, we're not expecting uniformity. Quite the opposite, really. In, in families, we really appreciate uh, different characters, different skills, likes and dislikes, ages and abilities. Earlier this week, I, I read an article. Um, it was written in the newspaper, the um, uh, Independent, actually. It was written by a young woman called uh, Helen. And uh, she was writing, uh, giving her uh, experiences during lockdown and uh, she was living alone. And she said she was surprised that she didn't cry particularly when she was FaceTiming her friends or when she was WhatsApping her relatives. Uh, but what brought her to tears was during a live streaming on a Sunday evening from her church. She wrote this. Um, There's a reason you'll sometimes hear church referred to as someone's family. It's because a family is what often uh, an often ragtag bunch of individuals that make up a congregation most closely resembles with all the dysfunction that entails. There's the church equivalent of your mad uncle, who you're always vaguely worried you'll get stuck talking to by the refreshment table. There's the incarnation of your brother's overly earnest new girlfriend. And then there's the calming presence, who is most like the wise older sibling, the one who tells you to breathe deeply and let it all wash over you. You don't love your church family in spite of the people who occasionally rub you up the wrong way. You genuinely love it because of those people. You never have met them otherwise, never have got to know them, never have come to accept and well even embrace their quirks, never have become a slightly better person just by learning to love someone you don't always like. Helen concluded the article saying, that's why church is like family. They're not expecting you uh, to be anyone but yourself. And that's the most reassuring feeling of acceptance imaginable. 
And that brings me to my second and really much shorter point. You've got the heading there, valuing diversity. Let me take you back to the church in Philippi, this church that Philip loved, and it was diverse. In Philippi, he, when he arrived, he found there was a very small Jewish community. It wasn't big enough to even have a synagogue. And that's why Lydia and the other women with, with her were praying down by the river. Paul told them about Jesus and they became the first people in Philippi to become Christians. In fact, uh, they were the first people in Europe to become Christians because Paul had travelled across from ancient Asia into Europe. Later on, um, a young slave girl, we don't know her nationality, joined the church, which was then meeting in uh, Lydia's presumably large house or maybe in an outside courtyard. Then the, the town jailer, who was probably a middle class Roman, uh, miraculously became a Christian. All his family, all his household uh, joined the church as well. So they were a diverse group right from the beginning. And as the church grew, and it did, grow we have no reason to suppose that it was any different in that respect as Paul wrote to uh, another church the churches in Galatia there is neither Jew nor Gentile neither slave nor free nor is there male nor female for you are all one in Christ Jesus I had an opportunity um, quite a number of years ago now to take a coachload of people to visit the ruins of the city of Philippi. It's quite extensive and you can indeed still see that it must have been a really important and wealthy place. I was absolutely, absolutely thrilled to uh, stand in the small river where Lydia and uh, the others would have been baptized and then to go and pray in in a modern chapel that's alongside the river where there are beautiful uh, stained glass windows uh, one of the apostle paul and another of lydia and they stand uh, alongside each other in philippi in the town you can actually see the uh, foundations the ruins of the very first church building to be uh, put up in Philippi. It was about 250 years actually after this uh, letter was written uh, because it had to wait until the time when Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire. But this uh, first church is so interesting. It's octagonal in shape. And so the people worshipping inside it would have been sitting round in a circle. And uh, just outside it, uh, there's a baptistry dug into the ground with steps going down. And that's where people would have been baptised at that time. I remember this visit well. Uh, we had a Greek a female tourist guide with us who showed us round brilliantly around all the ruins 
And she said to me beforehand, uh, when I hand over you to you to do the Christian part of this talk, uh, what should I call her, call you? I'd explained to her that I was actually a Baptist minister, but that all of these people on the coach uh, knew me as Catherine. So I said, just say Catherine. So we got to the moment and uh, she handed over to me and she said, and now here is your priestess. And everybody collapsed in, collapsed in laughter and I was the one that was teased and teased for uh, days afterwards. <laughs> anyway, to get back, you can see something of the diversity of this church in Philippi from its beginnings. And uh, in this section of the letter, it's interesting that Paul names these two women. And I'm sure it's not to shame them. It's because they are significant in the congregation, because he describes them as being co-workers with him, along with Clement and all the rest. This uh, week has been another week when we've uh, rightly had to reflect on the Black Lives Matter headlines. And indeed, repent of the times that our black and Asian and ethnic minority sisters and brothers have not been welcome in our churches, when we've not valued their particular diversity and accepted them as family. As we think back over our um, post-war history in churches in this country, we do need to lament, we do need to be repentant. And as always, if we truly do that, then God will guide us. God will give us a fresh opportunity to reconcile and to grow together as a Christian family, living in unity, valuing diversity as we move on in the 21st century. So having looked back at Philippi, what do we believe God is saying to each of us? about following Jesus Christ and living together today as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Well, it might be that we need to actively work for unity within our own households at uh, this time. Or maybe there is some disagreement with somebody in your church. Paul calls us to nurture our unity, to find points of connection and shared values and to actively build on those. Maybe there is someone from whom we need to ask forgiveness this week. Or maybe there's somebody uh, that we need to put more effort into on our side of the relationship. I saw one of uh, Nicky Gumbel's uh, pithy sayings this week about relationships. His thought for the day pops up on uh, Facebook every day. This one said, we all mess up from time to time. He forgives. He restores. He blesses us again. God always does that because of Jesus. And we praise God 
for it. It may be that we have a mindset that means we don't appreciate someone in our community who is uh, very different from ourselves. Perhaps we've put them into one of those boxes that labels people according to their accent or ability or age. Well, we can ask God to help us see that person as God sees them with his eyes, with his insight. And we can ask God to give us an extra measure of his love for them that we might build a bridge between us. So let's be sure that we do have God's perspective, uh, that loves and values our differences, made as we all are in God's image. And finally, just as Paul underscored everything else that he wrote by saying to the Philippians, stand firm in your faith, we too need to remember to wake up each morning and uh, say to ourselves that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is our only true Saviour. There's no need for us to look elsewhere for our security, for a blessing. And to remember, as Paul said, that the death of Christ on the cross and his resurrection has sealed our salvation. It's, it's a done deed. It happened in history and that we're now citizens of heaven with our names written in the book of life, as Paul puts it there. Guaranteed a future and living with that is citizenship here and now. And perhaps the last thing uh, of all of those, but really importantly, to pray each morning is to ask to be filled again with God's Holy Spirit so that we can live as followers of Jesus throughout the day and wherever and in whatever circumstance we find ourselves. I just want to pray that you will hold on to whatever God has spoken to you out of all of this this morning. And if you don't have uh, any assurance of your heavenly citizenship yet, then please do be in touch with uh, somebody at the church, Matt or others, through the various means that are uh, offered uh, through this or under this or through the website. And sign up for an alpha group. Those films are really great. And then you too can have the joy of being in Christ's family. Thank you so much for listening and God bless you all in this week to come. Amen.